This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 409, May the 11th, 1998. This evening, Douglas Murray, Susan Burns, Mark Rushdoony, and I again have the pleasure of having Dennis Rowe with us. We, by the way, uh, Andrew Sandlin cannot be with us tonight because he is ill. Now, we heard from Dennis Rowe recently on the work he is doing all over the world with the independent Presbyterian missions. One of the things that uh, we face is that in our century especially, the church and various Christian agencies are regularly unfairly criticized by the world. One unfortunate response to that is that the church has tended to be too defensive, unwilling to admit to its own problems. On top of that, instead of dealing with problems realistically, it has tended to centralize everything. Now, let's consider one incident alone so we get an idea of the picture. When uh, J. Gresham Machen broke with the Presbyterian Church USA, he did it over the issue of missions. The Presbyterian Board of Foreign Missions was increasingly sending men out whose position was anything but orthodox, who were going overseas with a, a gospel that was alien to the Christian faith, that was geared to social reform, so that at home the emphasis was on the social gospel, and abroad it was to save the world through a rather humanistic agenda. Now, to counteract that, he formed the Presbyterian Board of Independent Missions. Not the exact title, but that's roughly it. Sadly, when he organized the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, they again created a church-controlled board, not an independent one. And of course, this was precisely the problem with the old Presbyterian Board of Foreign Missions. Any complaint you had, for example, against a missionary or a college or seminary had to go to Presbytery from the local session, from the Presbytery to the Synod, from the Synod to the General Assembly, from the General Assembly down to the board that was responsible for that particular area of work. Well, you can imagine how in that process, if it survived, your protest was diluted. And so they could go on doing as they pleased. And yet, every reform group, every breakaway group that has started an independent denomination, supposedly to carry on the old faith, has again centralized as though the centralization were the answer. 
On top of that, they have passed all kinds of rules and regulations supposedly designed to protect the church from straying or from waywardness or aberrations of any kind. What they do not stop to think about is, what about the old church? Were there not enough safeguards there going back in some instances over the centuries? And yet the safeguards did not work when people were determined to further their heresies. What is to protect people again or the church again? Paper documents? They haven't worked before. Now, what uh, Dennis Rowe is involved in is precisely a step in the right direction. A decentralization, which means a more responsible government of missions or whatever agency any group seeks to create. Because if you don't like what uh, Dennis's organization is doing, you stop supporting it. If you like what they are doing and what they represent, you support it. Therefore, its life is dependent upon its faithfulness. Now, the alternate uh, pattern has prevailed in church after church in this century. And if you, well, excuse me for taking a little bit of extra time with my introduction, I want to lay the groundwork. The centralization that has resulted to protect the church has aggravated the problem. And churches that break away ostensibly to protect the faith find that instead of centuries before they go astray, in a few years they're in deep trouble. I won't name any groups, but I can see all of you are thinking of one or more church or organization that began with such a reform measure and very quickly is in deep trouble because centralization dilutes responsibility. It takes it away from the people. It takes longer to get to the problem, not directly. On top of that, when you do so, you create another problem as well. There's no question that in our century, the church has been subjected to bitter, vicious, and unfair criticism and persecution. It has been pointed out that more people, more Christians, have been martyred, killed for their faith in this century than in all the centuries up until now. And the end is not yet. Well, the church's reaction, perhaps, has been to be too defensive sometimes and to feel that uh, anyone within the ranks who says, look, we're not doing the right thing here. We're too protective of this or that school or missionary agency when we should 
say in response to criticism, well, we're ready to be more critical than you, but constructively so. We're going to see what needs to be reformed or changed or condemned. But instead of doing that, the church often reacts defensively and is uh, rather hostile to anyone who is critical of any branch of it. Certainly, you found that to be true, Dennis, and I have too. And you also, Susan, we pay a price for being out of step. And yet, the only constructive change can come from those who are out of step. Well, this centralization of uh, missionary work has been a concern to Dennis, and uh, his organization has worked to get around that. One of the things they have done is the work he will tell us about when he was last with us. Dennis told us about his prospective trip to Hungary. And this is a particularly vivid example of what I'm talking about. The Hungarians gained worldwide fame, that is, the Hungarian Christian leaders, for their stand against Romania and Ceausescu. It had all the earmarks of something great and noble. But was it Christian or was it political? You see, there was a real problem there. It was Hungarians versus Romanians who were, apart from the Christian aspect, tending to persecute not merely Christians, but minority groups. And the Hungarians were one of the most dangerous minority groups. So we assume that because clergymen were leading in this protest or were pushed up to the front by the student rebels, they therefore represented the true Reformed faith, which was not always necessarily true. So uh, it seems ungracious and uh, traitorous for Christians to criticize the leadership of these Hungarian churches or their, their theological stance. I know the reports we received at the time was that they were very, very faithful, still truly reformed, that of their several universities and seminaries, there was only one that had wandered a bit, not too much, but a bit. Well, it is beginning to be apparent that that is not the case and that... Uh, Perhaps we are being milked by groups that do not represent us. Well, given that background, Dennis, I'd like to have you explain now what it was that took you there, why you had to go, what the problem was that uh, created hostility on the part of the uh, established churches there, and the reason for the failure of more than a few American churchmen to appreciate what you are doing. Well, I'll give you a bit of history, Dr. Rush, Denny, as far do. as 
our involvement there as a mission agency. Uh, when we uh, began to hear of the opening of Eastern Europe to uh, the Western world to be able to be free to travel there again and to interact with the peoples of that part of the world, uh, we were hoping for an opportunity to go there as an agency and see if there was some way that uh, we could help and if there was a need. We were keenly aware of historically how that in Hungary, of all the places in Eastern Europe, the Reformation took root more strongly yes. than of any of the nations in that part of the world. And through the, the really the vision of uh, Dr. Robert Rapp and his uh, investigating Hungary and making numerous trips there, uh, he saw a real need to provide a theological education for young men who were desirous of a truly historical, biblical, and reformed education. And uh, the fact that it was lacking in the institutions in the Hungarian Reformed Church. Uh, but at the same time, not wanting to go there and present uh, ourselves as ugly Americans, which we have since been called numerous times, um, we had made contact with those in the Hungarian Reformed Church, uh, seeking out those of like faith and trying to work with them and encourage them for reformation, uh, knowing that there probably was um, a legacy of persecution because of the years of Marxism and Stalinism there and that a lot of the um, godly pastors have simply disappeared or were put so far out into the backwoods they would be of uh, you know, little uh, account, at least as far as the leaders would think. And so we began to go to different agencies in the Hungarian Reformed Church, uh, the Mission Society, the Bible Society, where it seemed that the more um, Bible-believing and what they would call evangelical, or they called them pietists, were where we found that that was the group that were uh, more historically reformed. And the, um, the powers that be that uh, were really governing the church were reformed only in uh, name. And uh, that there was this tradition there of being reformed that had little semblance of what we understand of, uh, as Reformation faith, where there's a lively faith in Christ and Christ alone and his word and his grace. And rather, we found this um, pseudo-orthodoxy, if we can call it that. Uh, you know, you were tested to see if you were reformed, if you adhered to um, a creed, but yet it was not tied into biblical Christianity. And it was evident because we, we began to see their activities where they were having ecumenical services, uh, which were quite, quite common for the leadership. Um, as well as, um, and I mean ecumenical services, not in the good sense. I mean, you know, I'll have uh, fellowship with Baptists or Methodists that are Bible-believing and so forth, and, and others, a broad spectrum, and, and uh, do a lot of things with them. But we're talking about uh, having joint ecumenical worship services with Unitarians, uh, the Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, um, and so forth. Uh, with uh, out giving the proper place to 
biblical faith. And their seminaries, the same thing. In, in uh, Debrecen and Cluj, uh, where there are two main schools for training the Hungarian reform ministers, uh, you have the same mix. And so the first trip that I made there in 1990 when I addressed the Hungarian Reform Mission Society, uh, I spoke to them on this matter. And I used an illustration from Elijah. And I said, could you imagine Elijah with his school, the prophets, uh, say, well, to have a good school, we need to have a prophet of Baal, we need to have a prophet of Moloch, and, and so on. Well, of course not. On the contrary, Elijah prayed fire down from heaven for them to be destroyed. And so how can we uh, uh, you know, mix the faith like that and make it uh, uh, to really be uh, of no good and no value to be only trampled underfoot? And so I exhorted them at that point to uh, make a clear stand, not to come out from the Hungarian Reformed Church, but to pray for and labor for reformation, to truly get back to historical biblical Christianity. And um, from that, we seemed to uh, make contacts with men who were desirous of that very thing in the Hungarian Reformed Church. And for a number of years, we've labored to work with the Hungarian Reformed Church, praying for reformation within that, you know, the organizational church we're speaking about here, uh, the visible church, if you will. But it's come to a point where that is just no longer possible. We did establish a school six years ago uh, first in Budapest, uh, but then we uh, came about for a need to move it up into the northeast of Hungary, closer to the Ukraine, and in the city of Mishkolts, sort of like the Detroit of Hungary, a factory town. And, but the bishop there is very friendly towards us, uh, at least he was. Uh, he hasn't come out against us like the other three bishops that uh, are in the Hungarian Reformed Church but has uh, you know, professed to be himself evangelical and Bible-believing. Uh, I might explain that a little bit when I use the terms bishops. They have um, a form of government where they have bishops that have basically divided up Hungary into four areas and four districts, as well as a district in, in Romania where Tokish is. And um, so they have this uh, office of the bishop, which course is not our uh, view of uh, the church government. We would see all presbyters as bishops in that sense, but that's, that's not a major issue as much as the other, you know, um, areas where uh, the Bible as the Word of God is not believed. Uh, they do not believe it is without error. Uh, they've imbibed a lot of the German higher criticism we've found out. Um, and we've had teachers that we, th that we thought were, you know, uh, conservative and Bible-believing that we've even later on had to dismiss. And we've tried to, you know, draw from the Hungarian Reformed Church our teachers and professors very carefully. Uh, but even with that, it just it seems that by far the vast majority of them have uh, bought into theological liberalism, uh, high German higher criticism, uh, Bart is just a patron saint of the Hungarian Reformed Church, sadly. I've had, I had one minister uh, in anger boast to me that uh, you will not find a Hungarian Reformed minister who does not follow the teachings of Karl Bart, who you well know is uh, 
such a liberal theologian that you couldn't really truly know God. And uh, so we've come up against that. And But even with that, we tried to work with them, praying that our students who would get a good biblical education would go back and serve in the Hungarian Reformed Church to help the church for reformation. But recently, in the past year, it's come to a point um, where that uh, seems it's no longer possible. Uh, we went to their synod, we presented papers, uh, an outline of our courses, our theological stance, and everything trying to get them to the Hungarian synod to recognize our uh, work in the school in Mishkoltz. And they would ask for things, and we'd keep producing documents, and they would make, you know, a little higher uh, hoop to jump through, and we would try to do everything. And uh, finally, in the past year, they've just denounced us. But, you know, instead of being honest about it, which is a typical liberal approach, and saying what the issues are, they've, they go off on other tangents. They don't address the fact that we've made a clear stand. We don't agree with the office of bishop. We don't agree with um, women in the ministry, which they have throughout the Hungarian Reformed Church. Uh, we don't agree with theological liberalism and, and German higher criticism or the teachings of Karl Barth. And so they look at us, they call us fundamentalists. And they don't want any part of that. Um, but I see it, it's a fundamentalist as J. Gresham Mason was a fundamentalist. And I, yes. I take that as really uh, what they mean. It's like when the early Christians were called Christians. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a, really giving us a blessing rather than a curse. But it has not been a delightful experience, in, you know, receiving this kind of... Uh, you know, ire from the bishops and uh, some of the decrees. I have a number of quotes here from their denominational newspaper where they denounced the school and the students, told the students no Hungarian reform uh, young man is, is to attend the school, and if they do, they will not be received into the Hungarian Reformed Church. Well, what course does it leave us now? Uh, they've made that choice. That has not been our choice. Contrary to some reports, it's been published in papers here in the United States that uh, we went over there like the ugly American, wanted nothing to do with the Hungarians, didn't even like the Hungarians, and were treating them, you know, like second-class citizens or something like that, and I, I don't believe that's the case at all. I have a great love for the young men there, and I really uh, it's a blessing to be a part of the work and to see their their zeal for Christ and the things of the Lord and their hunger to be taught the Word of God, unadulterated. And uh, that's exciting. And so what do we do for these young men? I, in one sense, it's hard for me to get, not get really angry. How dare these bishops to stand in the place of God and tell these young men they cannot go out and preach the gospel? These young men who are working among alcoholics, drug addicts, prostitutes, that's required curriculum. We don't get that here in the U.S. That's what they must do, 10 hours a week of work. They have to be out there. They're in the, in the orphanages. They're in, you know, in all the needy areas. They're among the gypsies of Transylvania, which none of the Hungarians will have anything to do with. And, um, yeah, these bishops to stand in that place to where they forbid them you know, to, uh, to literally preach the gospel. And I just say, how dare them? And I say, woe unto you. I'm not 
seeking any vengeance. It's not mine. I just, I stand back in awe and wait for the earth to open up and swallow them. Because we know how God deals with such uh, a people and even a church. It doesn't bode well for them. But uh, I pray for the Hungarian Reformed Church still that they might repent and uh, see this as uh, an attempt to uh, train up men to be uh, God-fearing men who, uh, who uh, love the Word of God and love Christ and desire to serve Him with all their heart, mind, and soul. And um, so we are at this point now where my most recent trip, along with um, some other ministers uh, in different denominations, and we've all kind of received um, difficulty from our denominations about this, uh, I've gone to my own Senate and gotten a fair amount of support, which I'm very encouraged by and of our own involvement. I've encouraged them and asked them to help with this, what we see now to be a fledgling church. Because in the most recent trip, when I was over in April, we took part in the examination of four of our graduates who have been out doing the work of the ministry, who have really proven themselves, um, but they've gone without baptism for their children. They've gone without the Lord's Supper. And how can we withhold these things from them? And so, uh, having proven themselves and examined them, we laid hands on them and ordained them. Although uh, we are receiving a lot of criticism for this. How can you ordain them? You're not a church. <laughs> I said, what is a church? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we better get back to the basic definition of what really makes up the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think far too many people think of it merely as an institution or uh, uh, a visible organization, if you will. But these men uh, need our help. Now, we didn't, uh, they, ha they have applied to their own uh, country, and their own government, which uh, they needed to do to organize a work there. We're not doing that as a mission, but they are. But we did lay hands on four young men, and we examined seven others who have... Um, uh, six were licensed and another taken under care to do the work of the ministry and particularly um, to do the work of evangelism, of planting churches and organizing churches, um, you know, congregations with elders and deacons and so forth so that they can labor together to establish a presbytery in the denomination there in Hungary. Do you have any questions? So at this point, um, these young men will be starting churches. Yes. Um, will are they currently, or will they be facing excommunication from the Hungarian Reformed Church? Well, the counsel I received from um, the brothers in my own denomination that have been involved. In fact, our foreign missions committee sent a delegate and has give, they've given counsel. They said that they should make it clear and send letters to their bishops or pastors. And we had them, we asked them to do that, and they all did that. And they um, uh, publicly uh, signed a letter jointly as well um, of their unity and the faith and their support for the school is also. Mm -hmm. Yes, our time is 
almost up at this time, would you please turn this tape over? And at the conclusion of this tape, uh, I'd like to have you give the correct name and address of your organization, Dennis, so that uh, any of our listeners who would like to send in a gift may do so. Thank you very much. Uh, Dennis, would you like to tell us a little bit about these young men who uh, were ordained and are preparing themselves or starting in uh, with their ministries there? Yes, I'd be glad to. Uh, there were four who were ordained this uh, past April. Uh, two of them will be working at our school, one since his graduation um, two years ago. As been such a faithful helper, Zoke Imre, and he's our assistant administrator, very competent young man, uh, fluent in uh, English as well as his own native tongue of Hungarian and probably Romanian, I didn't ask him that. Zoke, um, he um, has a, just a real zeal for uh, the study of God's Word and theology and to see the advancement of Christ's kingdom there in Hungary. And he um, is uh, from the Transylvania area. Most of our students are, um, though we have some from the Ukraine. And also um, we've had uh, students from Hungary proper and uh, Czechoslovakia and uh, other areas but mostly from Transylvania and, and the Romanian area. And uh, Imre um, grew up in a what you would call a Christian family, what he thought was a Christian family, until he began a more serious study in the Word of God, and he saw that it was just mostly external. And uh, so he had a real heart's desire to be taught the things of the Lord, and uh, he heard of this school and of this work that was being started where they were going to be teaching the Bible. And that's how he came there. Uh, another one uh, student is Laszlo Lahel, and uh, Lahel is working among the gypsies of Transylvania, uh, a people who uh, most uh, Hungarians will have nothing to do with. They're considered, uh, you know, as the Samaritans were mm -hmm. to the Jews. Um, and uh, God is just marvelously blessing this young man. He just has a countenance that shines with, uh, probably sounds a little subjective, but he just shines with uh, the love of Christ. He just radiates it. And here God is blessing and, and uh, his work there and probably would be the first congregation established. It's been prospering that well. And he's a graduate um, from two years ago. And then there are uh, two other young men, uh, Kovacs Kalman. He also uh, will be involved in uh, planting a church and doing the work of an evangelist. And, uh, Kovacs is a very serious young man. Uh, might be the opposite of Lahel, but if you know the gypsy people, you see why Lahel is so fitted because they're very outgoing and gregarious people. And Kovacs is very serious, the opposite, but yet they're just uh, dear brothers united in the Lord, 
they're constantly in contact with one another, encouraging one another in the work. And Kovacs will probably be our uh, theologian of the group, you know, with the, his mindset. of. And then there's Kovacs Ferenc. Uh, they're not related. Kovacs is a common name. And he also uh, will um, be uh, assisting in our work at the school. Uh, we need um, some young men to help with the actual uh, work there. Uh, there's the whole matter of getting the word out. Most of our advertising now is just simply word of mouth about the school. That's one matter I would ask all of our listeners as well as you to be in prayer about because we've been cut off from the normal avenue of church contact in the Hungarian Reformed Church. Uh, they won't uh, let us use any of the normal vehicles for publishing and putting out information. Um, so we're kind of cut off from that. Plus they've declared to all of their ministers to have nothing to do with us, to allow none of the uh, people of their village or their young men to come to our school. Um, that's quite a heavy opposition to face because they dominate the Reformed Church there, at least that which calls itself Reform. And so these four young men are um, embarking, uh, you know, I'm not calling them apostles, but it's like in the days of the apostles. Where I mean, they gave, they, they're giving up everything. They're being ostracized from a society, the only society they've ever known. And you understand, they're coming from a society that's in the transition from tyranny, where you had everything that was state control. And to break out on your own like this is just, I mean, the, most people, they can't think, but they, they say, why would you leave the Hungarian Reformed Church? And they would say, well, because of this problem, the Bible isn't being taught, the pastors aren't preaching the Word of God. Well, so, you know, but why would you leave? They just can't conceive of that, mm. you know. And uh, so for them to do that, they're, they're young men uh, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And uh, it was a real blessing to have the privilege to lay hands on them and to commend them to the work of the Lord as well as the other young men. I was involved in their examination and examined them. Uh, I did in the Old Testament. And um, their uh, grasp of uh, theology and systematic theology and uh, understanding of God's covenant redemption and the proper exegesis of scripture, not giving it, you know, allegorical interpretations or things like that. Just amazing how, you know, rock solid they are in their training in the word of God. And I, I pray there'll be real foundation stones of the church that Christ is building there. Dennis, you said earlier that, that there, would at least, there would be a church, that they are petitioning the government for a church. It's been approved. It's been approved. Mm -hmm. Will the membership for this church come from members leaving the Hungarian Reformed Church, or will it come as a consequence of evangelism that these young men have done? Well, they're evangelizing, but I... Knowing the culture, I'm, I'm sure it's obvious that some people will be coming with, uh, you know, um, a Hungarian reform background, mm -hmm. you know, that way. Yeah. Uh, they'll be familiar with that. But mind you, you might have a, a, a church that uh, boasts 800 uh, members on its roll, and in attendance there might be 100 or less. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the situation mm -hmm. where they go to church, you know, maybe on Easter or Christmas or to have a child baptized. And if a pastor is, you know, 
evangelical and questions that, he gets in trouble from the bishop. He mm -hmm. cannot question that. One aspect of the scene that we need to recognize is this. Those countries have a background of uh, unity and solidarity in their organizations. You don't break with a society. We are at the other extreme, very, very individualistic, and we are alien to the European pattern. To give an example from one of the countries that was not under the Iron Curtain and is supposed to be more free than most, it is very difficult to get anyone in the community to come to your home for an independent Bible study. Even though the local church may be not only modernistic, but in the hands of modernists, so that no one goes to church except the uh, pastor and his family and the organist. And yet, to break with that is unthinkable. And uh, you're regarded as somehow a social outcast if you go to an independent Bible study group that some American uh, who is living there establishes in his home. You may want to go. You may share the faith of the group that the Bible should be our uh, article of faith, but you don't go. You don't break ranks. You don't even, in some countries, uh, paint your house differently than others up and down the street. Now, we don't have that kind of uh, uniformitarianism, but it's very commonplace in Europe, and behind the Iron Curtain, or the former Iron Curtain countries, it's very intensely strong. So what these young men are doing is really remarkable, and it does indicate the very great faith they have. It's a step that uh, makes them really, in a sense, outcasts in the community. Yeah, that's very perceptive. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I, I was, I was hoping to emphasize that, and it's hard for us to conceive. Yes of what it means for them to break from this tradition. Yes. And plus uh, the history of, of having the communist, you know, type of government over them for so many years where just totalitarianism, you know, the, the whole idea for them to, to do something other than what everybody else is doing is yes. just, they, it's hard to conceive of that. And so they, you know, they call us, uh, you know, all kinds of, names that uh, would uh, identify you as a cult or schismatic is uh, probably one of the better terms that they might use. But um, yeah, I was just mindful of uh, Kalman's testimony where he talks about that, he, that God chose me to preach the gospel and he's given me certainty from it. Mm -hmm. That statement, you see, when they're coming from the shifting sands of of theological liberalism where, well, it's not the word of God, you know, it, 
you know, this is, uh, these are good ideas and nice moral teachings and so forth, but it's not the clear assurance and the authority that comes from believing and understanding this is the word of the living God who is speaking to you there. And for them, they're just, uh, it's a marvelous experience to them. I mean, for them, a number of these young men, they're being converted. I give you one story. Uh, a young man was telling me that, and this is probably one of our best students. I was just amazed at his ability. And I might say that any of these young men that we examine, I believe, would have passed in any of our presbyteries or classes here in the United States, their examinations. But this young man, when he began reading scripture and uh, he came to faith in Christ and he understood that he needed to be regenerated. He mm -hmm. needed a new birth. That he was dead in his trespasses and sins. And he came to his pastor and told him about that. And, and the pastor told him, well, you know, that's okay, but we don't use that kind of language. And, uh, well, he wanted to pursue on and serve the Lord and and, and uh, study and go into the ministry. And so the pastor recommended him to, uh, I won't mention the seminary, but one of them in the Hungarian Reformed Church. And he went there and applied. And, but the pastor wanted not, don't use this language about being born again when you go there. And so when he went there, they asked him, you know, why he was going. So he told me, he says, because I'm reading scripture and I, I saw my sinfulness and that I needed to be saved. And, but I needed more. I needed a change. I needed a, a tremendous change in me. And I prayed to God and he changed my heart. I've truly been born again. And they would not admit him to the school because of that. Mm -hmm. Would not admit him to the school because he said he'd been born again. Now, I know we toss that term around here in this country to where it almost becomes meaningless, but this is not for them. He's talking about truly the new birth experience that our Lord spoke of in John 3, where there's this lively faith. And um, that's, so that's the nature of the church. I'm not making this up. You ask these young men, they grew up in it, and they'll tell you. The people don't know what it is to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. They have this reformed heritage and tradition, which, you know, is nice to use as a point of contact. But, you know, to have saving faith is often another question. You mentioned they will not tolerate someone who says he is born again. Some of these men, that I won't mention the name of the institution, I'm thinking of a particular one, uh, feel that they are proving their Christianity by tolerating a great deal that they will say, I agree with you, I don't approve of, and let me be specific, thinking of this actual case, homosexuality. But why should I condemn a faculty member who is a homosexual? Uh, that's not showing the love of Christ. Now, this is the kind of thing that they will tolerate, but they will not tolerate a faithfulness to the Word of God, so that it is a humanistic stance and in a humanistic inclusiveness mm -hmm. rather than a truly Christian faith that governs them. When I went to Hungary the first time, 
I heard of a, a young a student from the Theological University in Holland, Kampen, which is a very good school, that had been in Hungary for four or five years and was quite knowledgeable of uh, the theological institution. So on my way back, I stopped in Holland and spent the evening with him, and he shared with me that he actually worked at their most noted theological institution. He said, he would dare say, there of all the faculty, I, I forget the number, but it was, he said there may be only two or three believers that he knew of mm -hmm. in the whole school that he really could have fellowship with in Christ. And uh, that's a sad note indeed. But uh, so you have the ministers have been produced from this. Yes. That are in the churches. One of our young men who was out working in the field was working with a pastor who was Bible believing. And the pastor really loved him, and, and many of the pastors there have three or four charges. And it's just overwhelming if they're really trying to do the work of the ministry. And he wanted this young man to come there. He said, as soon as you graduate, please come and be my assistant. The bishop found out about this and said, you can't have him. I will tell you who you can have. And he uh, would not allow this young man to come because he was at our school. And... Uh, he gave him an assistant, and the pastor told him, he said, this, this fellow's not even a Christian, and this is who he gives me. And, well, and yet here, it's published abroad that, oh, these bishops don't have any authority. <laughs> that is simply not so. We've seen it. I was told flatly that only one bishop might be slightly Bartian, but the others are all faithful to the Reformed faith. Now, I've since learned that that is uh, propaganda from within the church, not uh, a description of the reality of the situation there. That's exactly true. And a number of them have uh, started coming here and speaking. Yes. And even in, I was astounded at one of, the, of our new conservative seminaries. Yeah. They had uh, the uh, theological professor... Uh, from uh, Cluj speaking just this past year. And, you know, they, they just naively take these people in thinking because they use the word reformed mm -hmm. that they must be okay. And yet they're not. And, and they're very well educated, the Hungarian ministers are. In um, one sense, probably better educated than most of ours. Doesn't mean they're educated in the truth. And uh, they know the right things to say. Mm -hmm. And um, it was an interesting incident that happened. Dr. Rapp happened to hear that one of these bishops was here in the U.S. and speaking at, uh, in Pennsylvania, nearby where he lived, uh, at an institution there that's uh, noted for being theologically liberal. And this bishop was speaking there, and he's just ripping into the conservatives and people who would actually believe the Bible's the word of God and believe in creation and so forth. And so afterwards, he, he came down and was milling around with people. And um, Dr. Rapp went up and introduced himself. And the man was just <laughs> stunned that Dr. Rapp was in the audience, you know, because he knows where we stand on these issues. And he had exposed himself because mm -hmm. he thought he was in a you know, uh, a place that was um, receptive to these ideas. 
Um, but that's the way they are. They're very devious about it. And you have to be discerning. A number of them are coming here and in, in taking churches now in the Hungarian Reformed Church in the United States. What was the position of these bishops prior to the fall of communism? Well, it depends on which bishop you're talking about. Some of them seem to, to you know, stand you know, for the truth. Uh, some were imprisoned for their um, uh, stands. Uh, in for religious freedom. Uh, some of the same ones who really are theologically liberal. And who are, uh, one of them in particular who um, I know was imprisoned for a good number of years and who we had hoped was, um, you know, would be a friend. Um, he was the one who introduced his district and helped organize the Hungarian Reformed Church and bring it into the World Council of Churches and has become a real enemy of, of our work there and no friend at all. So, you know, we have to be discerning again. I mean, I'm not going to say he didn't suffer under communism. Um, you know, he did, as far as I can tell, and I don't question that and doubt that, but, you know, it would be that he would be our friend now. And, and it, I've even talked to some Hungarians here in the United States that I know who are good men. And, and they say, well, they can't understand this. Well, they seem to be, if, even if they personally, you know, as we almost like to do it here, were personally opposed to, you know, abortion, and yet they're political in their office, you know, and they wouldn't come out and speak against it. They almost operate that way, some of these men. But all of the bishops that are in power, even the, the evangelical bishop in the, the northeast of Hungary, uh, has not really supported us. He didn't come out condemning us, but he he's really not supportive, as he should be. Um, I met with him personally. Uh, he gave me a place to stay in, the, as they call it there, the Bishop's Palace. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I even uh, exhorted him then. They were beginning to take money he, he supposedly was going to establish an evangelical and conservative school uh, in Sheraspotak, which was the noted conservative area in Hungary. And he was taking money from the Reformed Church in America, which, if you know about, has got its own problems here. And I said, if you take their money, you know, there are going to be strings attached with it. And you can't trust them. That's, and there may be some good men in the Reformed Church in America, but by and large, you know, that's not the case for the denomination. They tolerate theological liberalism, and it's not going to help you. So, um, there's only one of the bishops that I know that's, you know, even, you know, who, if you want to say, he's supportive by not attacking us, coming out against us. But I have newspaper clippings from their theological uh, publications of their denomination, some of the statements they've made against the school. Um, for example, the, their, 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 the Consultive Synod, that's what they call their group and the bishops all get together, of the Hungarian Reformed Church is asking anybody who's planning to follow any course who wants to study theology, do not apply by no means, it's a translation, to this institute that is ours, the Crowley Gasper Institute, rather to an official recognized Reformed school. 
and we are asking our churches to publish this standpoint in their official newspapers. This came out of their consultative uh, synod of the Reformed Gearing Church. By the way, our school, Caroli Gasper, uh, uh, it's at, they pronounce it Carly, it's where we would get the word Charlie. Uh, Charles Gasper was like the, the um, John Wycliffe uh, of translators for Hungarian Bible. Uh, it's an excellent translation of the scriptures. And so we chose that name to identify us with the Word of God and taking a clear biblical stand. And uh, another statement they made, the students are trained in a fundamentalist, exclusivist, and anti-ecumenical spirit their statement uh, and then they've published things uh, one bishop printed uh, that Dr. Rapp is for him nothing's too expensive it seems he has enough money for his dirty practices for a young man from Ukraine or Transylvania $100 wage is a lot of money what we've tempted to do is raise $100 a month support for the young men who are doing the work they, they don't have any other means of support on $100 a month, they provide for themselves, their wife, their children, if they have children, and that's not a whole lot. Um, you know, and many other statements that I could give you, effectively saying to all students they are cut off. And then it was published here in the United States that our school didn't even exist anymore. But it, you know, ended and it was over, and all the students were being received back into the Hungarian Reformed Church which simply isn't true. I have a signed statement from the students. Uh, we did lose six students who, um, you know, left when the, the, the bishops, you know, gave this declaration against us. That's a lot of pressure. I'm amazed that only six left. I'm just astounded. I praise God. They were being offered free education in the seminary of their choice, guaranteed uh, church and, and money and I mean they were buying them off big time and yet here they're laying this charge against Dr. Rapp money's you know no object for him which simply isn't the case I'm just amazed how our little mission God is using to do this but you know like you pointed out so perceptively uh, it was almost prophetic your opening mm -hmm. remarks which were an encouragement to me to hear that this independent mission board Westminster Biblical Missions is doing this work because all the people involved have a heart for missions. Well, our time is about up. Uh, Dennis, could you at this time give the correct name of your organization and the address so that anyone who'd like to contribute can send in a gift? I'd be glad to. Thank you. It's Westminster Biblical Missions Post Office Box 6 Zero two, Carbondale, C A R B O N D A L E, Pennsylvania, one eight four zero seven. Carbondale, Pennsylvania, one eight four zero seven. Thank you very much, Dennis, and God bless you all. And do remember this work in your prayer and in your giving. Thank you, Doctor.